In reality television, the people are represented by two separate but equally obsessed attorneys. This is their podcast. Hi, I'm Ceci. And I'm Angela. And this is the Bravo Docket. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In reality television, the people are represented by two separate but equally obsessed attorneys. This is their podcast. Hi, I'm Ceci. And I'm Angela. And this is the Bravo Docket. All right, welcome back to the Bravo Docket. I'm going to give it over to Angela to explain what this episode is going to be about. What are we covering? So we're finally covering our most requested episode so far, which is the Teresa and Joe crimes, including their bankruptcy fraud, the financial fraud, and we are covering it all. We, this will probably be, what, do we think maybe three episodes total? Yeah, I think three episodes is accurate. We're going through part one, which is going to be background on Teresa and Joe and then their bankruptcy filings. And then Ceci's got some really fascinating parallels to what's going on with Erica Jane right now and those bankruptcies. And we're super excited to talk about that. I downloaded Teresa's book, the one she wrote after she got out of prison. And I've got some insight from Teresa herself on these topics. So that should be interesting as well. Yeah, I'm sure she really understands legally what occurred to her. I'm excited. (laughs) (laughs) You guys should know that Ceci's shade is always the coldest shade. It is like, (laughs) like I tend to run very hot and Ceci is like icy, icy cold. Like she will literally just (laughs) say no. I'd really like to hear what you have to say about that to someone who's trying to, for example, mansplain the law to us who's not a lawyer. I kind of love it. Yeah. I think people think I'm serious most of the time, but I'm definitely not. And (laughs) I think that's the beauty of it. Uh, Very deadpan. Yeah. (laughs) So where are we starting? The bankruptcy. Well, I'm going to start. I'm going to give some background on Teresa and Joe for everybody. Joe Giudice, and I am going to say Giudice the whole time. Teresa explained Thank in her- Thank you. 
Thank you. Yeah, well, sorry. I, I, <laughs> I am you off. I'm sorry. That is the Italian pronunciation of the name. Um, Teresa actually explains in the book that she had always, they had always used the Italian pronunciation, which is Giudice, especially because Joe's dad would get really upset when people would pronounce it the American way, which is Judice. I am Italian. My grandma was born in Italy. My grandpa was born in Italy. Like, we're all super Italian. So whenever I see Giudice, or I hear, and, but then I hear somebody say Judice, it's kind of like makes me cringe a little bit. So in honor of Giudice Sr., I am going to use Giudice. Someone asked, like, because we asked for questions, and someone oh, yeah. was like, can you explain why before she went to prison, she used Giudice, and then after she used Judice? Did she explain that? Yeah, she actually does. So it was, she said her daughters and her and Joe had never really been bothered by the American pronunciation, but they did correct people and try to pronounce it Giudice while Joe's father was still alive. After, and we'll talk about this in the background, but after they got indicted and arrested um, and they were out on bond, Joe's dad died. He passed away. And so he passed away. And then after he passed away, they just said uh, Judice after that. Hmm. But so they were always much more careful to use the correct pronunciation while he was alive. So listener, fan, we answered that question for you. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Um, Teresa was born on May 18th, 1972. I couldn't find Joe's birthday, but they're the same age, according to the information I have. Teresa and Joe met in 1986 when Teresa was just 14. That's actually the same age I met my husband. We didn't get married until much, much later, but I did meet him when I was 14. Joe is an Italian citizen. He was born in Sorono, Italy. He was brought to Patterson, New Jersey by his parents when he was a one-year-old. And then, as we know, despite living in the United States since age one, Joe never got his U.S. citizenship. And we will go into that in, I think, our third episode, probably, (laughs) which will cover the divorce and the deportation and all of that. Okay, so they meet when they're 14, October 23rd, 1999. Teresa and Joe get married. Um, Before being cast on The Real Housewives of New Jersey, Teresa worked as an associate buyer at Macy's in New York City. I actually didn't know that she had, like, a real job. Mm Mm-mm. That's not, that's isn't that kind job. of like a coveted job, like a buyer? Yeah. Like a, yeah, <laughs> it is a good job. Yeah. yeah. I also didn't know that she had an actual degree. She has a degree from Berkeley College. She majored in fashion marketing and management. And then it says, uh, Joe worked in construction and in the restaurant business. Now, I thought this was kind of shady. Some of this information is from the indictment. Some of it's from interviews that Teresa's given, and some of it is from her book, but this information is from the indictment. So it says from January 2001 to May 2008, according to the indictment, Teresa is unemployed and has no income. The reason why I think this is shady is because from 2001 to 2008, Teresa has three babies. So I don't really consider that unemployed. I I understand technically she's not working, but I mean, having three small children to take care of is a lot of work. It's not like she's just sitting around. Mm-hmm. So January 2001, G is born. October 2004, Gabriella is born. Now, around 2005 is when some legal things that we know of start happening. Now, Ceci, I didn't ask you this beforehand, but did you watch The Sopranos? No. Mm-mm. Okay. Well, you should. I don't know. This, like... Yeah, mob stuff, I'm not into it. 
I'm it's not, not my either. Thing. I don't. Okay, but The Sopranos is incredibly good storytelling. The acting is good. The writing is good. It's. I think it's one of the best shows it's ever been on TV. So mm-hmm. I, I'll add I, it to my list. Add it to your list. Okay. I tend to not like things that glorify Italian criminals being Italian myself, but The Sopranos is an excellent show. <laughs> it's really good. So anyway, around 2005, this is when we start seeing some litigation that we can find. And there's some litigation involving Joe Didice and a person named Joe Mastropoli. And they purchased real estate and a bunch of it had two LLCs and all the housing units were Section 8 housing. And the reason why I brought up The Sopranos is because there was this whole nefarious scheme where they were buying Section 8 housing, falsifying information to get mortgages for the Section 8 housing, and then doing criminal stuff and flipping it around and making a bunch of money off of it. Um, I'm not saying that that's what Master Pole and Giudice were doing. It just reminded me of that. That's all I'm going to say. Anyway, there's two LLCs. They buy these properties and they use the LLC just to purchase these various Section 8 properties. They had mortgages on them. Mastropoli at one point buys the other two LLCs from Giudice, but he does that by like securing a mortgage on the LLCs, like for the like the actual properties. Well, he pays out, like he he buys out the mortgages from the banks. And so he then secures them with the properties. Anyway, so they they ended up not getting along. So Mastropoli finances the purchase price of the two real estate holding LLCs for $586,000. He records a mortgage on the properties to secure the loan, but then Giudice sues Mastropoli and Mastropoli's mom seeking an order to refinance one of the properties. <laughs> and this I actually got from a New Jersey Court of Appeals record. So Mastropoli and Giuseppe met to try to resolve these differences, they met without counsel and agreed to settle their disputes. And I, they wrote out the terms on a cocktail napkin and signed it, which is that. Well, that's just so funny that it's on a cocktail napkin because I remember learning in like contracts class, like the cocktail na- napkin contract, and yeah. whether or not that's enforceable. So it's just funny that they actually did it. And it's just, yeah, yeah. They, they they actually did it. Uh, they did, however, formalize their cocktail napkin. Um, all I can think now is like somebody writing out a contract, like, and you didn't watch The Sopranos, but like from like a, like at the bat, the bada bing or whatever, you know. Anyway, so they write out the terms on a cocktail napkin. And this is from the appellate record, the New Jersey Court of Appeals. It says the napkin read $300,000 within 10 days. six months mortgage on 17 Webster payment due six months with personal guarantee not paid in six months interest 10% per month. Like that's, that's what the cocktail napkin said. So then they formalize the terms of the settlement and they file these formalized settlement terms with the court on June 13th, 2007. Uh, The settlement agreement provided for the dismissal of the Giudice's lawsuit regarding the one of the properties and for the Mastropolis to refinance and satisfy all the outstanding mortgages on that property. Okay, I promise all this stuff is relevant to the bankruptcy and the upcoming fraud charges and all of that. This is background you're going to want to know. So 
the Judiches agreed to, and Teresa's on one of these mortgages, by the way. So the Judiches agreed to pay, pay plaintiff $560,000 representing the amount owed to Master Pole from the buyout. There's some other terms. I won't give you all of them. But pursuant to the settlement agreement, one of the mortgages in Teresa's name was satisfied and Master Pole was paid $300,000 from the refinancing of one of the properties. Okay, so they get this whole lawsuit settled. That's on June 13th, 2007. Now, on June 14th, 2007, the very next day, Joe and Teresa file a fraudulent discharge of Master Pole's mortgage on the properties. Judice forged Master Pole's signature and the signature of the other parties, including the notary public. So when you have a mortgage that's like recorded, it's recorded on the deed to the property. And then to, you know, take the lien from that mortgage off, you have to file the discharge of the mortgage. So that shows that you have the property free and clear. Well, they forged documents and this was litigated. I mean, this, is a, this isn't a, a judgment. This isn't speculation. This is the court found that these documents were forged. So this is in 2007. This is well before they are accused of fraud by the federal government, right? Now, Mastropoli does not know that Giudice has filed this fraudulent discharge of his mortgage. He doesn't find out for a year. So Giudice cancels the mortgage that Mastropoli held. And this is in 2007. So then this is also the time that the Real Housewives start casting for the Real Housewives of New Jersey. So this is kind of summarized from Teresa's book. But you just watched this. Like, you just rewatched a bunch of the episodes, right, Sessie? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And you've watched, like, the first two seasons in the very beginning. Mm-hmm. What, yes. did you, what did you think of – and I'm just going to kind of get your opinion. What did you think of Teresa when you first saw her on the show? I actually really liked her. Like, really, really liked her. I don't yeah. know if that's how people watching it at the time felt, but she just came across so personable and like a family woman. She loved her daughters. Her kids were cute. I don't think they were meant for to be actresses like Gia, but was not <laughs> meant to be an actress. I'm sorry, Gia. But yeah, I really liked her. I thought she was the most down to earth. She was funny. I don't know. Effervescent. Yeah. I agree. Season one, I really enjoyed watching her. She wasn't necessarily in the forefront of all of the drama, but she looked like that fun friend that you definitely want to like have come over, have hang out. I just loved her interactions with her children. And then she was really ridiculous in the fun way that we like our housewives to be. So I agree with that. Yeah. Even though she had like the blow up at the end of yeah. <laughs> you know, at the end of the season, I I felt for her like she was pissed. So, yeah. Sorry. What were you saying? No, I was going to say, so what do you, what did you think of some of the other people on like the first season of Real Housewives of New Jersey? Well, I remember back when I watched it, like very first, like back when it was airing, I watched it and I used to love Caroline Manzo. I was like, wow, she's like the best mom ever. Like she has such a great family. And then watching it back, I was like... And knowing what I know now about the Manzo stuff, which I think yeah. we'll cover later, I was like, oh, she said really awful things to her children. I don't know, like her daughter questioned her intelligence a lot. I, it just made me uncomfortable. And then Jacqueline, I always thought was a sweetheart. I, I know things through osmosis now about how she's like 
you know, like I'm not fully caught up. I'm going to admit I'm not fully caught up, but I know things about everyone on the cast through osmosis. So like watching it back and I'm like questioning my initial feelings on these people. But yeah, I always really liked Dina, but I'm always going to like a housewife with a cat. Well, yeah, she was like totally normal and great. Yeah, I liked her. Yeah. So according to Teresa's book, now this is Teresa's words, not her words exactly. This isn't an exact quote, but this is what Teresa says. According to Teresa's book, they went to the Chateau Salon in Franklin Lakes. This is the real Housewives Sirens Media producers where everyone gets their hair done. And they asked the owner, Victor Castro, if he could recommend any clients with over the top lifestyles. Apparently, Jacqueline and Dina were recommended right away. Jacqueline wanted to do it. Dina was hesitant. And Teresa says that Dina only agreed to be on the show to bring attention to Project Ladybug, which is that's Dina's that's Dina's charity that with that helps kids with like like really cancer. bad illnesses, right? Is it cancer? I think it was cancer. Yeah. According in the way this was written in the book by <laughs> Teresa, according to Teresa, Jacqueline also recommended Daniel Staub, and then Dina recommended Teresa. Teresa claimed she was hesitant and that Joe did not want to do the show. Is that the salon? Sorry, I'm stuck on the salon part where yeah. they were cast. Is that the salon where in the first season they like would always meet up and like have the drama and stuff? I'm looking it up right now. Yeah, look I think it, up it is. I think it is. I think, I think it, it is. I think so. It has those like old antique gold mirrors at each station and each chair is like separate and it's not like the really, really nice chairs. You know what I mean? I think that's it. Anyway. I think you're right. Yeah. Look that up and then let us know for sure. <laughs> but yeah, I, th- I, I think you're right. So Teresa says that 11 months after she was first approached by the producers, that she went to a Chinese restaurant in Franklin Lakes with Jacqueline and that Jacqueline pulled out a contract for Teresa. Teresa says she was feeling spontaneous, so she signed it right then and there with no lawyer to look over it or anything. And she says Jacqueline took it and gave it back to the producers. Teresa says she didn't get paid much for the first season and that she spent all the money on show-related expenses, and I put show-related in quotes, like dresses, shoes, and handbags. And so she claimed she didn't make any money the first season. One kind of relatable thing I thought that Teresa said in the book was that, you know how when you say something and then you lay awake at night thinking, I can't believe I said that, or what if they interpret it this way, and you keep replaying it in your head, and she says, like, imagine blurting out something cringy or nasty on camera and then wondering if it's going to air on TV, which is one reason why I would never do a reality show. <laughs> no, I mean, I I regret saying stuff when we're recording the podcast. At least I can delete it. <laughs> <laughs> like I can, I have control over it. Can you imagine if someone else like was, I don't know, we don't say anything terrible, but sometimes, you know, I say unintelligent things. Can you imagine like someone rec- like having to edit this for us Oh yeah, and we have no say, you know, no. I mean, I mean, this is like, yeah, this is just a pod, you know, legal podcast, but like, well, we get to edit it ourselves. Drunk. So if we really yeah. hate it, either I can be like, Sessie, take that out. Right. Or whatever. Or, you know, like we have control over it. So it doesn't – but, like, giving somebody else the control over editing and then, like, we talked about in our Southern Charm episode, also the ability to completely manipulate that to make you look however they want. No, I don't I, – like, we, we are way too – I think as attorneys – also, like we are controlling, but in a good, you know, in a good way. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like yeah. that would be very difficult. So Teresa talks about how doing the show and earning money for appearances made her feel good, and that you know it felt good for her 
to contribute to the household and her daughter's college funds and how <laughs> validating that was. <laughs> she talks about doing appearances and how like those days were really long and her beloved makeup artist Priscilla Diastasio would go to the hotel at midnight and have her ready to film at 4.30 a.m. and that Priscilla would do her makeup and hair at night and then tuck her into bed like a mummy with her makeup done and her hair spread out on the pillow so it wouldn't get messed up. I wouldn't sleep with that. I would love to be able to do that when I have to be up super early for something and just wake up and be ready to go. But there's no way. Like if I actually fell asleep, I'd be drooling and rolling. Like I couldn't maintain that Mm -mm. position and sleep. No, I'm a side sleeper. So that wouldn't happen. (laughs) So this is 2007, which is also when the first signs of the impending financial crisis appeared in the U.S. And because a lot of this stuff is about bankruptcies and mortgage fraud, I think we need to talk about this a little bit. Now, I graduated from law school in 2008. And fortunately, Mm. I had a job doing railroad litigation and the railroads were doing fine. They literally had all the money. They were great. But a lot of people that I graduated with weren't able to get jobs or they weren't able to keep jobs that they had. There was a lot of places that just weren't hiring people. I mean, the U.S. government let Lehman Brothers fail. I mean, if you remember, they rescued AIG. Merrill Lynch is purchased by Bank of America at like a fire sale price. Unemployment persisted at reported rates of 10%, but many believe it was actually as high as 17%. The FDIC resolved over 25 failed banking institutions in 2008. So, like, banks were failing. Do you remember this? How, like, where were you in 2000? I'm much older than you, so. (laughs) I was graduating. That's when I graduated high school. So, I was going into college, and there was, like, a concern about what would come next after college because, you know, it was an unknown time. I don't really remember what caused it, even though I watched that movie about it. What was it? Like, The Big? The Big Short. That's a great movie. The Big Short. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. I gloss over on some of this stuff. (laughs) put as simply as possible banks were giving out loans to people that really couldn't pay them back and mm-hmm. they were giving out loan and they were also had variable interest rates and so the banks weren't really doing due diligence on whether or not people could afford to pay these loans back or if they had the resources and then people were also getting the loans and not really recognizing the fact that the interest rate was going to double or quadruple and that they wouldn't be able to afford their mortgage payments in a couple years. And then, you know, huge institutions were buying these subprime mortgages and leveraging against them. It was it was all a big mess. The big again, the big short, excellent movie, you should watch it. But also like this also explains why Teresa and Joe were able to get some of these mortgages without really being able to get them. I mean, they shouldn't have been given some of these mortgages, but they were fairly easily able to manipulate documents, forge documents to obtain a bunch of mortgages. So all of this is going on. Now, also, according to the indictment, 2006, they didn't file federal tax returns. 2007, they didn't file federal tax returns. And so, according to the indictment, between 2004 and 2008, the Dujiches apply for and are granted several loans using falsified information, W-2s, and falsified tax returns. According to the indictment, by the beginning of 2008, Teresa and Joe received more than $3.5 million in loans by using false information in their documents and lying about their income. Now, 
I would just like to say in like 2013, I think I had gotten a large settlement. I had a huge chunk of money. I had verifiable income and I had enough money to like pay a huge down payment on a piece of property with a house and a barn on it. The bank would not give me a loan. I was so frustrated. I was like, I literally felt like that scene in Pretty Woman when she's sitting there like in the office of the hotel manager and she's like, but I have all this money and they just like, like, like I'm trying to give it to them and they won't take it from me. And I have all this money. That's literally how I felt. So I had, I had all this money and they, they would not give me a loan. It was so hard to get loans after that, even if you were qualified and had a huge down payment because the laws changed. Similar to you, I don't know how similar this is, but I just like applied for an apartment and got it. And I have a good paying job and I'm, you know, financially secure. But every time they do like the credit background check, my like ass cheeks clench up because I'm like, what if they say no? Like, but but it's crazy to me that someone like Teresa and Joe not only don't have that fear in 2007, but that they lie to get those loans when it's like nowadays people like you and I are like, you can't get a loan or are fearful about, you know, things like credit checks or whatnot. So, yeah. I had a 25% cash down payment and it was verifiable where that money came from. I'm like, I am an attorney. (laughs) Yeah. I've been an attorney for years. This is how I made them. I had it. I had all, I mean, on all my documents were real and they still would not give me the loan. Mm-hmm. It was, it was so but frustrating. I guess, I guess they're, they don't want another financial crisis like 2008. So yeah, I, I mean the, from what I understand, like the protections are now in place to ensure that you can pay back the loan and that they don't run into these situations like they did back then. So yeah, you know, and I'm actually glad I didn't get that property. That's not where my life was supposed to go. But at the time, it was very frustrating. But I'm, I'm pointing this out to say that the the it's pendulum... Changed. Yeah, it's went, like it was very easy to get mortgages. And then it became very difficult. And now it's kind of leveled out some. All right. So between, like I said, between 2004, 2008, they receive more than $3.5 million in loans using false information in their documents and lying about their income. Now, April 20th, 2009, they've been on the show... Like they started on the show in 2009. Yes, May 2009. So they're filming in like 2000, late 2008, early 2009. And then they, May 2009, The Real Housewives of New Jersey premieres on Bravo and the Judices appear for the first time. Then September 2009, their fourth child, Adriana, is born. And then October 19th, 2009, Master the guy we mentioned earlier, files pleadings with the court seeking the unpaid $260,000. So then one week before they file for bankruptcy, Teresa signs a book contract with Hyperion dated October 22nd, 2009, which was then signed by Teresa, meaning it was finalized on November 19th, 2009. In the book contract, Teresa was to receive an advance of $250,000 and an additional advance of $30,000 as well as royalties based on the sales of her cookbook. So that's the skinny Italian cookbook that she did. Do you remember, I mean, you watched it, but like it did show her in the first season cooking with like 
her Italian family, like in their garage and making huge amounts of pasta sauce and like the big mm-hmm. bats and everything. I loved that scene. I know I, I did it. too. That was really endearing. And, you know, I think her cookbook did sell well. Like it was really endearing. And, it, mm-hmm. you know, and Teresa pronouncing ingredients and like it was cute. It was, mm-hmm. I, it was and her cute. kids like carrying buckets of tomatoes. Yeah. And I loved her it. Adorable, I, loved I loved it too. I think a lot of people did. So. A week before they file for bankruptcy, she receives that contract or the contract's drafted. Then October, so like all of this stuff happens in very quick succession. So the book contract is is drafted October 22nd, 2009. Then because of the previous lawsuit that had happened with Master Poli, like the judge pretty much immediately enters a judgment. So like a day after the book contract is drafted, October 23rd, 2009, Master Poli wins the civil lawsuit against Judice for $260,000. And that's the lawsuit about Judice forging Mastropoli's name on mortgage documents, not good, for an investment property that they jointly owned in New Jersey. And then in addition to forging Mastropoli's signature, Judice also stole the notary stamp of his previous assistant and <laughs> used it to notarize mortgage documents in order to acquire bank loans and pocket the profits. Who is this guy, Robert? Uh... Robert, who's the guy from the Mary episode? Oh, yeah. Uh, it's the same. That's what I was thinking, too. Yeah. It's the same thing. Robert Cosby. Oh, my God. I, yes. yes. Why can't yeah. I not remember his last name? Yeah. This is Robert yeah. Cosby all over again. Yeah, because that's literally Robert Cosby. Mary Cosby's husband and step-grandpa was found to be in a civil jury trial liable for falsifying documents on homeownership records, like on deeds, on quit claim deeds. So yeah, <laughs> not good. <laughs> so this is this is October 23rd, 2009. Master Poli, you know, gets the judgment, the civil judgment. So this isn't criminal, this is civil, but in the civil judgment, it is found that these forgeries were done. So that's October 23rd, 2009. Then October 29th, 2009, the Dujiches file for bankruptcy, and that's federal. They claim they have $8.7 million in liabilities they have to pay. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. It's for two people. Mm-hmm. And I guess like the kids, too, but they're not out running up credit cards yet. Like That's just, that's a lot. But when you file for bankruptcy, that gives you immediate protection from all of your creditors. Because like we talked about in our... The Girardi like, update? Yeah, I was like having, I was like... I was like putting the words Girardi and Judice like together in my brain and I couldn't <laughs> separate them. In our Girardi episodes, we talked about how the bankruptcy court, once a, once the bankruptcy's filed, the bankruptcy court has like priority and is literally like, you know, like your mom and dad saying what you can and can't do with your stuff. And yeah. they can also stop creditors from executing yeah. judgments against you because it's the bankruptcy court that gets to say. They just yeah. stay it. Yes. That's the legal term. They stay the, the other lawsuits and everything. Right. Okay. So they file for bankruptcy claiming they have $8.7 million in liabilities. Wasn't it – do you remember who was it that brought up the bankruptcy on the show that Teresa got really mad about? Was it Jacqueline? I don't remember. I think it might have been Jacqueline. In response, Mastropoli files an adversary action to block the discharge of the debt that's owed to him. So I think that what maybe got the – federal government agencies, the DOJ kind of keyed in on what Teresa and Joe were doing is the fact that they filed for bankruptcy. And then this adversary action is immediately filed within the bankruptcy saying, look, there's been mortgage fraud. 
because that brought it into like the federal realm. And then it's not like these federal guys don't talk to each other. <laughs> it's like if it were me, I'd be sending an email over to the DOJ being like, you might want to look at these, these people. Do you want to talk about their statement of financial affairs? Yes. Okay. I don't know why. Like, I think everyone knows by now I hate money and I hate numbers, but I've been loving looking through the statement of financial affairs, both in this case and in the Girardi bankruptcies. Like, love it. I don't know. Maybe because I like to picture what they bought. I don't know. I, I love it as well. I mean, but you've been doing an excellent job of it. <laughs> I'm like obsessed. Yeah, I guess notably first that this bankruptcy is similar to Tom's bankruptcy in that it's a chapter seven bankruptcy. And like we talked about before, that's the fire sale one. Yeah. Where they're trying to just, you know, sell stuff at a great price, I guess, to repay creditors. It's not a restructuring one like what Sonia Morgan's was. But unlike Tom's, this bankruptcy was voluntary, whereas Tom's was filed against him involuntarily. So just noting that. But yeah, so they had to file a statement of financial affairs. It was a 60-page document. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I kind of feel like there was something awry about this as well. This is like the allegations that came out kind of maybe stemmed from what they put in this document. Yes, yes. Ceci's going to give you all like the juicy details about like what they put in there, but Okay, so I've just given you the timeline about them being on the show and Teresa getting the cookbook deal and all of this. They did not put in their statement of financial affairs the fact that she had gotten that book deal and the fact that she was getting the advance and the fact that she was also getting an additional $30,000 in addition to like the two hundred and fifty or whatever, and then that she was going to get royalties. They didn't disclose the fact that she had the TG Fabulicious company. <laughs> There's... I mean, it's things that were talked about on television. And as soon as like the Real Housewives of New Jersey came out, it was super popular. I mean, they even talked about it on like the Emmys. Like they showed like Teresa flipping the table. I mean, it was like super in like the common, like, like we were all talking about it when it came out. Mm -hmm. But despite the fact that these things were open and notorious, they failed to put them in their financial statements, which, yeah. Doesn't make crazy. Sense. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> duh, you should put that in there. But yeah, so it's a 60 page document. My understanding is that you list all of your assets, you ask, you list all of your liabilities, and that's kind of how they discuss or like determine what you have to pay and what you have to pay. So they listed their properties and their ownership interest in it, which Angela discussed some of the properties earlier. They included personal property, like cash on hand, investments, appliances. They put their refrigerator. I thought that was funny. Mm -hmm. Goods, furniture, jewelry, their laptops. My favorite one is that they put their dogs and valued them at $600. Yeah. If that was me, yeah, I would have been like, my dog is priceless. It would have been like (laughs) one of those um, Visa commercials where they're like, what is it? They like list out all the things and then. Yeah. It's moment like, with your dog, priceless. Priceless. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd been like, there's no bankruptcy here. My dog is worth everything on the earth. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Legal team. Have you guys been on Quince's website recently? I shopped on there like three years ago for the first time and bought myself a bunch of cashmere sweaters. I lived in the black cashmere sweater, lived in it. And I hadn't shopped on there for a while because my cashmere sweaters lasted for a really long time. But I decided to go back on there and oh my gosh, have they completely expanded everything that they offer. The workwear, they have washable silk. And I mean, it's so affordable. I also shared with you all that I'm recently engaged and I'm in the middle of wedding planning. So anytime I'm shopping, I'm thinking about wedding, 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 wedding. And they have everything I need for the wedding. I just booked my honeymoon. We're going to go to Southeast Asia. It's going to be hot there. And I've been looking for good linen pieces. Guess what? Quince has good linen pieces and they start at only $30. Then I'm like, okay, we need to get our wedding bands. You know who has fine jewelry now? 14 karat gold quince. So I send the link to Avery and I'm like, you have to get your wedding band from here. It's affordable and it looks just like any other wedding band. I mean, it looks great. Another thing I'm doing, again, I have wedding on the brain. I want to look my best. So I'm like, okay, I really want cute little matching sets to go work out in. It's the only way I can get motivated. I have to like wear a cute little matching set. I've gotten really into Pilates and guess what? Quince has the matching sets. They look identical to matching sets I've already purchased from another sports brand. They have the same thing. And at a fraction of the cost, I was able to get two tops and one pair of pants for the same price that I could only get one set at this other sportswear place. I mean, come on. Quince is just killing it. If you've shopped there before, it's time to go back on again. They have just completely expanded the categories of goods that they have to offer. They're not just all about cashmere sweaters anymore. They have got a ton of stuff, and I highly recommend you go check it out. If you're ready to go try out Quince, go to quince.com slash docket to get free shipping and 365-day returns. That is q-u-i-n-c-e dot com slash docket to get free shipping and 365-day returns. That is an amazing guarantee on their goods. So go check it out. I highly recommend it, guys. So, And then they list the creditors that have secured claims, like the mortgage companies, some banks. Then there were creditors with unsecured claims. There was listed taxes and other debts to government agencies. The box was checked. 
the New York Department of Finance for parking violations of $75. I guess one of them had a $75 parking ticket. And that goes in this statement of financial affairs. Yeah, you're supposed to you're supposed to list everything. And like we talked about with Eric and Jane and Tom Girardi and Girardi Keys, everything has to be on there. And the they are so thorough. And then also they have an appraiser that will come if there's going to be a sale. And then the appraiser will go through and appraise everything. And that was done in this case as well. I mean, and they went through and appraised the the baby's the stuff in the baby's room even. Like, you know, pink yeah. chandelier in baby's room and like every like everything. They appraise everything. Well, yeah. Like we know from Tom's law firm case, they put everything, literally everything up from his law firm in there down to the lingerie that were was in his drawer. I don't know why he had lingerie in his drawer, but, you know, like literally everything was in there. Even the like empty bottles of wine were put up for auction. We know who they has just, that lingerie now. <laughs> we do know who has that lingerie. It's not lingerie. one of us. <laughs> I'm wearing it right now. No, no she's not. <laughs> oh, man, you wore uh, leopard print. I was going to suggest we both wear leopard print because it was jersey. Now I want to go change. <laughs> it's not leopard print lingerie, by the way. It's a really cute top, though. <laughs> yeah, so like in the Schedule 1, which is – or Schedule I, excuse me, which is the current income, she puts she's an actress slash TV personality and is paid 7080 per month. Joe puts that he owns a stucco and stone company and makes $3,250 per month. That seems really low for owning a company. And then $5,000 monthly assistance from family members. And so combined, they have an income of $15,333. They then list their expenditures. So it's like rent, food, utilities, all that stuff. And somehow that too also equals $15,333. So they're essentially saying they don't, they make $15,000 and they spend $15,000 a month and can't repay all these debts that are owed. So I just thought that was kind of weird that the amounts owed added up perfectly. I don't know if that's supposed to happen, but that was weird to me. Yeah. I mean, so like in one of the later pleadings, the one of the trustees says that they state their gross income from employment, trade, profession, or operation of businesses was $575,000 in 2008, $598,000 in 2007, and $312,000 in 2006. And it, I don't know why it went up so much in 2007. But again, like they have to, it is actually Teresa and Joe that sign these documents under the penalty of perjury saying this is correct, which is really important (laughs) because you're the one verifying that it's correct, not your attorney. You are saying, this is all I've got. So when Erica is asked to list all of her possessions, she will be the one that has to sign and say all of this is correct. And she better learn from Teresa and Joe and not leave anything out, even accidentally. Well, I mean... (laughs) It's already been alleged that she's left something out. I don't I don't know if she's had to fill out a schedule like this yet, but the trustee yesterday filed an amended complaint. And by yesterday, I mean August 26th, for those listening later, saying that Erica has concealed income that she's receiving from a settlement that was supposed to be paid to Tom's law firm. So is that she's the, already, the lottery settlement? Yeah. Yeah, the lottery yeah. settlement. Which I can explain later, but yeah. Do you want me to talk about the parallels with the schedule that was filed? Yes. By the bankruptcy trustee? 
Yes. So similar to how Teresa and Joe had to file their own statement of assets, the trustee in the law firm bankruptcy filed one on behalf of Tom's law firm. And I don't practice bankruptcy law, but from what I gather, she had to file it instead of the law firm because of how messy it was. And I believe because Tom just doesn't know where the money went. So it's like she put her gloves on and was like, I'm going to dig into this. Yeah, the the trustee in the bankruptcy has had to do so much work. And I think she noted in there that the records were not done, like they weren't kept very well. And that, I mean, I think there's even been notations that some of it was just like even written down on like a pencil and paper. And so she's had to literally go through and try to recreate doing like forensic accounting, this type of stuff that Ceci's talking about. Yeah. She said, suffice it to say that the debtor's accounting offices were not well maintained and the debtor is the law firm. Financial records and other mail and papers were piled high on each and every flat surface and in no discernible order. Sounds like a hoarder situation of financial documents. Ugh. And again, this is this is the Girardi case. So we're doing the parallels between the Girardi case and then the Judice's issues in the bankruptcy. Yeah, yeah. And I'm only bringing it up because it's wild how we were researching for this case. And I'm sitting here reading the schedules and statements for Joe and Teresa. And then suddenly the 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 trustee files one for the bankruptcy for Girardi. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Like, yeah. And just to, I, I'll touch on it really briefly. This one was 405 pages long, whereas earlier I said to- Teresa and Joe's was 40 pages. And of course, this is a law firm. So, you know, they're bringing in a bunch of money and a lot is going out and they list everything. They said there's 127 bank accounts that Tom Girardi's firm had. They list loans that may need payouts. They list creditors. They say he may owe over $100 million. And I thought this part was interesting. It shows a ton of Amex payments on behalf of EJ Global EJ Global LLC. And it adds up, what the trustee says, to $25 million. And I'm wondering if that has something to do with the $20 million loan that they keep bringing up. But it's these interesting, like, it looks like she just was given a credit card and made just went on a shopping spree. They're on specific dates as well. So March 26, 2020, she just there's a bunch of payments made. March 10, 2020, same thing, a ton. January 29, 2020, January 1st, 2020. And it's just a bunch of payments. And I don't understand why, but yeah. I, I mean, from looking at it, I mean, I when we first got that huge document, I went in and like just did a search for how many times just the word EJ Global appeared. And it was, and I, I was looking at the smaller document like that was only like 200 something pages. And it was like EJ, the word EJ Global appeared like 427 times. Or, or, 429. 429 times just in that small, the smaller document. And so I'm just guessing and speculating here, but it looks to me like she didn't, it's not like she was like running the business with like an accountant. She was literally just given an American Express card with a super high you know, limit and was just like, here, just use this to pay for whatever you need. And so there was no mm-hmm. checks and balances. There was no like worrying about how much is coming in. There was no like accounts receivable. There wasn't anything that a normal business person would do. It was, here's a, here's a credit card. Have at it. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like a firm <laughs> credit card. 
Yeah. I had to use the firm credit card recently to like file some copyright registrations. And they were like, as soon as you charge something, you have to email us the receipt and what client it belongs to. Right. Like instantly, right? Maybe she didn't know it was a law firm credit card. It doesn't matter whether or not she knew, but it's just wild to me that someone gave her an Amex and she spent over $20 million on that card. Like, I guess it's easy to do when you're not worried about making the payment on the credit card. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Like, and so was that, was that the one that's like, it's over eight years? It's that much money? Because it, it comes out to like 350 something, about $350,000 a year over eight years. And that does make it make at least more sense. That, okay, that's like the, how much it costs to be Erica Jane. And I, so Tom was ostensibly the sole proprietor, the sole owner of the Girardi Keys company, LLC or whatever it was, partnership. And so he was supposedly the only one that had control over the finances. That seems like it has been corroborated. And so Tom was just treating the business like his personal bank account, but you're really not supposed to do that. When you mm-hmm. have an LLC or when you have a business, you're supposed to not co-mingle the funds like that because you're supposed to keep accurate records for what is what, especially if you get audited by the IRS. So it's a very messy, sloppy way of doing things. Don't do it that way. As we go through, jump in with anything that is parallel. Yeah, or similar to like what we're talking about with Teresa and Joe. Yeah. So one of the things that struck me when going through this is that like Teresa and Joe's stuff is that it seemed like they had a lot of chances to maybe get it right or correct it. That, and it just wasn't done. So they filed the bankruptcy October 29, 2009. They have their statement of financial affairs. Then not much later, on November 18, 2009, the panel trustee appointed in the case mailed a letter to the Judice's attorney and raised several discrepancies. And then also their secured creditor, Wachovia Bank, that had given them mortgages. And the letter talked about, hey, there's some things that are not on here. Also, like in November 20th, 2009, the bankruptcy trustee sent a letter to Teresa and Joe requesting copies of their federal tax returns for 2006, 2007, and 2008 for documents related to all the real property they owned, a list of their jewelry, the 2007 and 2008 federal tax returns for the entities identified, so the LLCs that we talked about on the schedules filed with Teresa and Joe's bankruptcy petition, copies of bank statements and canceled checks for their bank accounts, for the year leading up to the petition, and then all of the cash payments exceeding $750 made during the year prior to filing their bankruptcy petition. And then they wanted copies of any contracts with Bravo Entertainment and copies of pay stubs from April through November 2009. So at this point, the bankruptcy trustee is like, this stuff doesn't look right. It's not matching up. Clearly, someone there had seen them on TV (laughs) and was like, this is not, this isn't matching up. So we need to fix this. So that was November 20th, 2009. September 17th, 2009, Teresa and Joe amended several schedules and they amended their statement of financial affairs. So they added previously undisclosed properties. So they had a couple properties on Lexington Avenue and Clifton, New Jersey. They added those. They added Joe Judice's previously undisclosed checking account. And that, even though it only had a balance of $1,000, they <laughs> added three businesses. I don't know why he had a bank account, just a random $1,000 in it, but apparently he did. 
Well, Tom's law firm had 127 bank accounts. So that blows my mind. 127 clearly, bank clearly accounts. Clearly, we're not doing it right. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Um, they also, I mean, they. This all should have been on their first schedule, but like this is like yeah. basic stuff. So like their amended schedule B added three businesses, which is G and G Realty Holding, G and G Stucco and Stone Specialist, and then. 1575 Maple Avenue Associates LLC. They also added three vehicles that they apparently forgot they owned and a boat that they forgot they had. I'm putting forgotten quotes. Um, and then they added a 2007 Cadillac Escalade, a 2005 Ford F350 long bed truck, a Kawasaki like Forerunner, and then a Sea-Doo sport boat. So that's Jesus. a lot. Of, <laughs> that's a lot of stuff on there that was not added. Oh, and then they, they also forgot to add uh, an undisclosed lease for a 2005 Maserati. So they put that on there as well. It's funny that they forgot the Cadillac. I don't know why I'm stuck on the Cadillac because I was like going through the docket and looking and Cadillac was someone who said like, we need you to lift the stay so we could get our money that we deserve from Teresa and Joe. Right. So it's weird that they didn't put that they have a Cadillac, even though Cadillac was like, hey, I need my payment. Yeah. Like Cadillac as a creditor was like, you owe me $33,000. And they didn't even put the car in their statement. That's insane. Yeah. So we talked about how they remembered they had an additional three vehicles, a boat, a Cadillac Escalade, a Ford F-350, a Kawasaki 4Runner, and a They And then they also remembered that they had a lease on a... 2005 Maserati. This is also when they amended their Schedule I to disclose that as of the petition date that she had been, Teresa had been employed for one month by Sirens Media LLC with $7,083.33 in gross monthly income. And again, they signed this, my cat is talking, Warlock. (laughs) Oh my God. Warlock, either come here. So they did disclose on Schedule I that as of the petition date, that means the date that they filed the bankruptcy, that Teresa had been employed for one month. I'm, that's my cat talking. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, Warlock, can I just finish this one thing? Okay. So finally, on Schedule I, that's when they disclosed that Teresa had around $7,000 in gross monthly income from Sirens Media, which is the company that does the production for Real Housewives of New Jersey. And again, this is, they sign this saying that they are declaring that all of this is true under the penalty of perjury and that all of this is correct. Then January 8th, 2010, they file a second amended statement affairs of affairs and testify that that information was correct. So it took them two chances or two tries to remember what they owed or, and owned. Correct. They also added that they had more debts in 2010. So their total unsecured debts on March 2nd, 2010 were $7,192,723.47. Of the total unsecured debt listed on the second amended Schedule F, $89,000 was attributable to consumer credit cards and store credit at Bloomingdale's, Neiman Marcus, and Nordstrom. (laughs) 
So that honestly sounds accurate, having seen Teresa on the show. So that means that almost $90,000 was stuff she owed out of Bloomingdale's Neiman Marcus and Nordstrom credit cards? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I remember watching the show and watching her shop for the girls and herself and, you know, she really enjoyed dressing them all up and she you know, had that huge house with a giant closet to put stuff in. That's why you get a small house. So you don't feel like you have to fill it with all this <laughs> stuff. When I, when I watched like the show and saw that house and how big it was, I mean, honestly, that was one of my first thoughts was like, it would just be exhausting to have to fill mm-hmm. that house with stuff. Exhausting. Yeah. yeah. No, I lived in a studio and I felt liberated that I didn't have to buy a bunch of furniture. It was just like, mm, here's a bed. There's a couch. Yeah. I'm good. There's something really freeing about just only having stuff that you really, really use and enjoy. Like, mm-hmm. just, like, we're, we love going and finding, like, fun stuff for our house, which is not that big, but it's, like, we have more of, like, a maximalist style, so we get to have, like, lots of things, but it's, like, all, and a lot of it is from thrift stores. It's just... Yeah. I call our style friendly Beetlejuice, which won't make sense to a lot of people, but it's like dark maximalism. <laughs> anyway. I like that. Yeah. Um, so they've had, they've filed these updated amended schedules. So they've had a couple chances now, and they've definitely had the trustee pointing out to them, hey, there's discrepancies, meaning like, you're not getting this right. You need to fix it. The trustee asked for a 2004 examination of both. Teresa and Joe. And Ceci, we have talked about these in the Girardi case. Do you want to just briefly remind everybody the 2004 examinations, like what they are and who they've been requested of in the Girardi case? Yeah. So if you remember, we mentioned that in the Girardi bankruptcies, they've asked to depose and get certain documents from It's kind of like a subpoena on a third party is the way I see it, but in a bankruptcy context. So you're trying to get testimony and documents from people not necessarily involved in the case as named parties. They're just kind of tangentially involved in the case. So in this instance, it's Erica's landlord. They're like, how the heck are you paying for your rent? Her divorce attorney and her financial manager They also asked, I don't know if it was in the firm bankruptcy or the other one, they asked for Tom's brother, the one who's running the conservatorship, to testify and produce documents. So that was that. Yeah. So here, there hasn't been a special counsel assigned to examine Teresa and Joe. It's just the trustee saying, this doesn't look right. We want to know what's going on. So they asked for what's called a Rule 2004 examination, which is like Ceci just said is exactly what's going on right now in the Girardi bankruptcies. So they do one of Teresa and Teresa testifies under oath. And when she testifies under oath, she admits that she has a bank account with Lankland Bank and that she's the only person with signature authority on that account. She also oh, testifies. Yeah. She also <laughs> testifies that she owned a previously undisclosed business by the name of TG Fabulicious LLC, of which she is the sole member. She also testified that she had a previously undisclosed deal with Hyperion, the one we mentioned earlier, which they, I guess, are an imprint of Buena Vista Books, to publish the previously undisclosed cookbook titled Skinny Italian. So, like... (laughs) You had so many chances. Well, I... 
this is one of the things I really don't understand because they they have a bankruptcy attorney. The bankruptcy attorney is, you know, getting the information, putting it in the documents, having them assume I'm assuming read them and then having them sign them that they're accurate. They they know they're on TV and that people are watching them. I mean, like the skinny Italian was like part of her storyline. I mean, it's like the most obvious stuff they're somehow failing to put in these documents. And it, I mean, it does make me wonder if Teresa didn't know that the stuff wasn't in there. I don't really see Teresa reading legal flight. Like, I don't see her sitting like down. I am sitting in. <laughs> I don't see. After work, I'm like reading all these schedules with interest. Yeah. No, yeah, she's not getting excited about like reading any, like you and I are like do lawyer stuff all day and then happily come home and download pleadings from Real Housewife cases <laughs> and pour over them. Like I've got my cat sitting next to me on the couch and I'm, I'm reading a, you know, pleading in a Real Housewives case. I don't see Teresa doing that even when it's her own loss. You know, I don't see her doing that. Mm-mm. But it also seems like why would, why didn't her attorney call and ask for that? And she does sue her attorney over this later. And we'll talk about that. But it is, I do want to just point out, though, as much as I'm saying that, it is on you, the person signing the document, promising that it is accurate and true and correct under the penalty of perjury. It is your responsibility to make sure that that's accurate, even if you have an attorney in a bankruptcy case, or even when you're signing your mortgage documents for your house, which is always a super stressful situation. And like they're just throwing paperwork at you. Mm-hmm. You're still the one responsible when you sign that. You're the one responsible for knowing what's on there, and the fact yeah. that all, like the timing that we talked about, the fact that they filed for bankruptcy like a week before they filed for bankruptcy, the contract for the skinny Italian book was drafted, like if like that's the time that it's dated, so that's the time that's like given to her, and then a week after they file for bankruptcy is when like she finalizes it. That's like the timing is just it's really hard to say that like it's yeah negligence on her part like his yeah like it should have been top of mind for her to include that it's like a really exciting thing for her mm-hmm. you knew you knew yeah. you knew you got two hundred fifty thousand dollars. you knew also like you're the sole member of the llc and sutton in the real housewives of beverly hills as she has said like you're responsible for that especially when you're the sole member i have to say i'm very proud of some of sutton's statements and behavior on the real housewives of beverly hills and garcelle I was literally actually like clapping for her when she was not letting mm-hmm. some of that stuff go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Most recent episodes. I just want to say if I was the trustee and I was like, I wonder if Teresa isn't being accurate, I would go and search up every fabulicious or licious entity out there and see if she's the owner of them. Because it's funny. She has like fabulicious and then some other licious one just as a comical aside well she had whatever cocktail that was the favellini which i tried yeah. to, i tried to find because i was gonna have it sent to your house <laughs> for this episode but no one's selling i couldn't find it anywhere and like the website the favellini website or whatever like wasn't working like so i couldn't find it anywhere because i was gonna have like a case of it sent to your cute. house <laughs> you could have um gotten some black water i would have appreciated some of that isn't it with the manzos <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah. Oh, like it's water, but <laughs> black. Okay. Anyway, it was the charcoal trend. To be fair, there was a time where char- charcoal was everywhere. So, and charcoal filtered water is good. I will say that. But yeah. Mm-hmm. So April 30, two thousand and ten, she is test. She testifies under oath about 
these things. Then on September 2nd, 2010, they still haven't amended their schedules disclosing the existence of the book, the publishing deal, oh my gosh. TG Fabulicious LLC, or the ownership of this other 1601 Maple Avenue Associates LLC. Like they still, they still haven't disclosed that. But I'm skipping ahead. All right, June 30th, 2010, claims against the Judiciaries are made by their creditor's bankruptcy trustee. The trustee alleges the couple were hiding assets and income, including the $280,000 advance uh, Teresa received for her skinny Italian cookbook and her monthly salary of over $7,000 from Real Housewives of New Jersey. And this is from one of the documents, and I just wanted to like read part of it because it does mention that so like they actually put this in the pleading it says the defendant Teresa Giudice was also involved in a reality television program known as Housewives of New Jersey they didn't get it right it's the real Housewives of New Jersey how dare they <laughs> yeah under a contract of employment to appear on that show this defendant also received income from appearances and from the writing of a book which was written prior to the filing of the petition that's the other thing like she had to go through and do all the recipes and like this was, should have been forefront in her mind. And then it says, upon information of belief, Teresa and Joe have concealed documents, records, and papers from which the defendant's financial condition or business transactions could be ascertained. The acts complained of include, but are not limited to, failure to disclose an interest in TG Fabulicious LLC, interest in pizza parlor, which I didn't know they had a pizza parlor, interest in laundromat, interest in a published book written, which is the skinny Italian and information as to actual income received by the defendants. So like they're not the the trustee's not happy about any of this. Yeah. I think this is where it, it parallels with Girardi again, because here the trustee is suing Teresa and Joe for not being completely forthcoming with all of their income and assets and whatnot. And in and I mentioned this earlier already, but in the law firm bankruptcy, the trustee there has sued Erica, claiming that she received, like we, you said, payments from a California law settlement and didn't disclose that to the trustee. I, I assume she had to disclose that at one point. I haven't seen that in the, like from the docket. Maybe they had some discovery going on and she didn't, she didn't disclose it. Yeah. But it was yearly payments of not that much money. I think it was like $20,000 or something. Not a ton, but I think just the fact that she lied about it, like raised a red flag in the trustee's mind. And that's why she filed the lawsuit. That's not the only thing that they're alleging. They're alleging that she, you know, made potentially fraudulent tax returns, like declared business expenses that weren't necessarily paid by her. So there are parallels here. And it's There are parallels, especially with the tax returns, because despite the fact that they supposedly, Teresa and Joe supposedly gave the trustee their tax returns from 2006, 2007, and 2008, they never filed federal tax returns. Like, those weren't (laughs) actually filed. So literally, like, like... from the very beginning of that this bankruptcy has been filed, there have been people asserting themselves saying, okay, they forge documents to obtain mortgages. They, you know, are not disclosing all of this stuff. They failed to do this. And then they're asking Teresa and Joe, the trustee, to give them more information, and they're still not getting it right. It's really bad. This is also you know, like an important thing to remember, like, July 21st, 2010, that's when the Dodd-Frank Wall Street Reform and Consumer Protection Act was enacted. So 
mortgage fraud and problems with banks and mortgages is on the forefront of everyone's mind during this time. So it's really going to be a high priority for federal prosecutors to go after people that are getting mortgages when they shouldn't. March 24th, 2011, Teresa and Joe's bankruptcy attorney receives a fax from the U.S. Attorney's Office and basically saying that you should inform your clients that they are under investigation for fraud, like for federal fraud charges. The reason why I know about this is because Teresa filed a lawsuit against her bankruptcy attorney saying that he didn't properly advise her of certain things like, you know, like what, like, like basically like didn't tell her, didn't properly like do his due diligence that he should have, like she's saying like that the bankruptcy attorney should have known that because she talked about this cookbook on the show, that it should have been added to the pleadings. But it's also like, well, you're the one that signed the contract. Maybe Yeah, your attorney a copy of the contract. So they also renew their vows, Teresa and Joe, which is like the kiss of death in the Bravo universe, usually in September of 2011. And then that's when they abandoned their bankruptcy filing as well. And then Joe also apparently pled his Fifth Amendment rights when they were questioning Judy Che, Joe Judy Che about hiding assets. But he does testify some like he does he does give testimony in his 2004 examination okay we hate doing this to you guys but there's so much that we have to do the dreaded bravo to be continued but we have more details about so much stuff that's going on we're going to get into the indictment we're going to get into more family background about what's going on we're going to answer a ton of the viewer or i guess listener questions that we got and then we're going to go into some of the details from Teresa's book that she wrote while she was in jail. And it's it's going to be good. So, yeah, I can't wait. I'm, I'm learning a ton. So stay tuned. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening. Thanks, guys. The Bravo Docket is part of the ACAST Creator Network. <laughs>